A couple of months ago, I took my son Stephen over to the mall, and uh, my 11-year-old, and he wanted to go to an arcade. Now, for those of you who are parents, you've ever taken your kids to an arcade, you know the sound that an arcade makes. It makes the sound ka-ching, 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 right? Because he had, you know, he had his $5, he converted it to tokens, and then he began to spend tokens on games. And I watched what was going on there, tried to back away and look at it, you know, from just an objective standpoint. And what I saw was, I saw my son taking his hard-earned allowance and playing games. Now, some of the games, I think it was like skee-ball, had tickets that would come out. You know, at the end of the game, you get so many tickets for whatever your score was. And then you could take those tickets, and you could trade the tickets for cheesy prizes. And and I stood there, and I just watched this, and I thought, you know, if there was any other environment in which my kid was taken advantage of like that, there would probably be a fight here. But I'm just standing there sort of doing the parental thing, watching my kid take his tokens, play games, you know, make the lights flash and the sounds go off, and then took the the tickets and traded it for cheesy prizes. And I stood there and I watched that and I thought, that's a lot like life for a lot of people. The bright lights, the noises, the sounds, the energy, the activity, the draw. But when it's all said and done, we walk out and what do we have to show for our lives? The most important asset that you have today is your life. And you need to think about, and I need to think about, what are we going to do with our lives? How are we going to spend our lives? And beyond that, you know, when the time comes for us to leave this life and move on to the next life, will we feel that there was a reason for living? I'm going to talk to you for the next several weeks about a guy named Solomon. He lived 3,000 years ago, and he was in life's arcade. He was spending his tokens. And when we find him at the beginning of the book called Ecclesiastes, which is where our, our study is going to come for the next several weeks, when we find him at the beginning of the book, he's looking at his life and he's not happy with where he is. I've long liked the U2 song, still haven't found what I'm looking for. And when you hear Solomon at the beginning of the book, that's the song that he's singing. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Now, just to make sure that you know who Solomon is and, and you don't get the wrong impression, I want to tell you that he's, he's a guy of stature. He is a man of respect. His dad was David of David and Goliath fame. His dad had been king before him. Solomon was one of the youngest sons of King David. And David, at the end of his life, decreed that his son Solomon would, would go to the throne after him. Now, what's interesting was that Solomon had a lot of older brothers who were well-established, and they, they were schooled in princely things, and a lot of them thought they would be king, but it was God's will that Solomon be king. And here he was. He went to the throne as a young man, just a kid, and when, when, he, when, when the mantle of leadership settled on him, he, he was struggling with that. Now, you can imagine, suppose, I know our, our, our government isn't set up this way, but suppose that somebody came to you and said, you're president of the United States. You know, you, you know you're going to be the guy you're going to be the girl that's going to be president, and you, today you're going to move out of your house, and you're going to move into the White House, and you're start, going to start running an administration. Most of us would say, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to frame an administration. I don't know anything about politics. You know, I don't even know, I don't even know my way around Washington, D.C. And that's how Solomon felt when he became king, and he just didn't know how to do the job. He went to sleep one night, and the Bible records that in the middle of this dream, God showed up to Solomon, and he said to Solomon, what would you like? would you like me to give you? Now, Solomon could have asked for a lot of things. He could ask for a lot of money. You know, what, what, what would it be like for you if you went to sleep tonight and God showed up and said, you can have whatever you want. I said, well, I'd like a, I'd like a beach house in uh, Palm Springs. You know, no, none of those things. 
Solomon said, God, what I would really like to have is I would like to have an understanding heart. The Hebrew is literally a hearing heart. Solomon's saying, I want to know how to live my life. I want to make sure that when I listen to something, I'll know the difference between if I'm listening to something smart or something stupid, which is something that all leaders need. And God said, all right, you can have it. But it so pleased God that Solomon had asked for this understanding heart that God said, I'm going to give you all the money. I'm going to give you a long life. I'm going to give you peace with your enemies. In effect, Solomon got to live a golden life. He was a bright man, wise man. He was good-looking. He had life on a string. You know, how many of us would say, if I could just have, you know, one good day without any problems, I would enjoy a life? Solomon got to have 40 years of no problems, no issues, all the money he wanted. And let me be very straight with you. The Bible says he had 700 wives and 300 women who were there just for his pleasure. He stood a chance with 1,000 women of at least one of them being in a good mood when he got home at night. That was the man. That was Solomon. I'm just telling you this so that you will know that he's not the guy, you know, with the shirt unbuttoned with the gold medallion and and all the bling bling on cruising in his Corvette looking for chicks. That's not the guy that Solomon was. He was a man of respect, a man of stature. And after sitting on the throne and enjoying this lifestyle that a lot of us would think that would really be the life to live, the life of the rich and famous, Solomon took stock of himself one day and his answer might surprise you. It's in chapter 1. We're going to work through chapter 1 this morning as we begin our study. In chapter 1, verse 2, here's what Solomon said. Everything is meaningless, utterly meaningless. I mean, here's the guy with the money, the sex, the power, the charisma. And by the way, let me just tell you this. The Bible tells us that the kings of the world, and back in those days, you know, the, the kings were always jockeying for position, for world power, and it was just natural for kings to fight each other and for governments to fight each other. That's what they did for sport. And yet the Bible tells us that the kings of the world during Solomon's day did something very interesting. Because Solomon had this great wisdom, they came to hear him. They actually brought their leadership teams for Solomon to talk to, for the, for, to, to talk to them. They, they brought their key leaders to sit at the feet of Solomon and hear what he had to say. Man, with all that stuff, he was a motivational speaker to boot. And I'm sure that when people passed the palace, they said, man, Solomon, boy, if there's one person who knows how to live, it's Solomon. Wish I was Solomon. Wish I could live like him. Who is it in your life that you look at and you say, boy, she's got it going on? If I could look like her, if I could dress like her, if I looked like him, if I had his job, if I had his car, if I had her house, you know, if I had that, if, if I was, if I could trade lives, I would trade lives with this person. My guess is if you could go home with that person and know what they think and the questions they ask and the grief that they encounter, my guess is you wouldn't want to trade places with anybody because all of us have our issues. By the way, you do know that. We're all dressed up for Easter, but you do know we all have our issues, Right? And if you came to the perfect church today, i got to tell you, you're at the wrong one because this is not a perfect place. But people looked at Solomon and they said, Solomon has it going on. And yet one day, Solomon in a closed room took stock of his life and he said, it all adds up to nothing. It is utterly meaningless. And he pours out his lament in chapter 1. In verse 3, he said, what do people get for all their hard work? Now, who of you have asked the same question? Well, what's the purpose of work? You get a job. Why? So you can get money. So you can do what? Go back to the job the next day. Get more money. So you can do what? Pay your bills. Go back to the job the next day in the hopes that someday you'll be able to retire. Solomon said, what's the point of work? Then look at verse 
four. Generations come and go, but nothing really changes. The sun rises and sets and hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and north. Well, we know that in Kansas, don't we? The wind blows south and north, here and there, twisting back and forth, getting nowhere. Solomon's saying, nothing changes. I keep waiting for something to happen that's a real change. And Solomon says, nothing changes. In verse 8, he said, everything is so weary and tiresome. In effect, he was saying, life just gets me down. In verse 8, he said, no matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're not content. Now, if there is an American in the Bible, it's Solomon. You know, isn't it amazing? The more stuff we get, the more stuff we want. Here in America, we have a seasonal transfer of wealth. <clears throat> Do you know that? You know, people talk about, well, transferring wealth, that's a socialistic concept. No, it's an American concept. We just call it a garage sale. <laughs> that's a fact. I mean, go out to a garage sale sometime and look at the stuff that's out there that somebody's selling for a dollar, two dollars, three dollars. At one time, somebody paid five, six hundred dollars for some of that stuff. But what happens? We buy stuff. We go to work. We don't know for sure why we're going to work, but we buy the stuff. We bring it home. We enjoy it for a while. We're tired of it. We want to get rid of it. We, we sell it to somebody else. Now, if you and I were living in a third world country and we were scratching around trying to eke out an existence to keep enough food, to get enough food to keep us alive, we would probably know our purpose. But the weird thing about all the affluence that you and I enjoy in the United States is after a while it begins to mock us. We say to ourselves, you know, if I had that bigger house, you know, and we, we, we just can't wait till we get that house, and after a while we get the house, it just becomes the house, and, and you think about, wow, I just thought this would be the most wonderful thing in the world, and you pull up into the driveway, and it's like it's laughing at you. You know, you thought I was going to make you happy. You get this car. You know, if I get this car, we, we get, the, you know, guys, we get the books, and we look at the pictures, we go, we, we kick the tires, and we look at the show, and we say, man, I just got to have this car. Whenever I get this car, I'm going to be happy, and after a while, it's just the car. It's like it's laughing at us. And that's what Solomon is saying. He says, no matter how much we get, it's never enough. We're, we're always going for the next thing. Then in verse 9, he said, history merely repeats itself. It's all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. What can you point to that's new? How do you know it didn't already exist long ago? We don't remember what happened in those former times, and in future generations, nobody will remember what we're doing now. How about that? Solomon is saying, we lose history, and someday history will lose us. There's a group that had a song. The group was called Kansas, and they had a song back in the 80s called All We Are is Dust in the Wind. And that's what Solomon is saying. I mean, here's the guy that everybody thinks has it all together. He's got money, he's got sex, he's got power, he's got looks. He, he can do anything he wants, he can buy anything he wants, and yet one day he said it all adds up to nothing. I'm not getting anywhere. There's nothing new under the sun. I can't find anything that will give me satisfaction. And beyond that, I know that when I die, I'm just going to be dust in the wind. Now, he said in verse 18, the greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. You ever get to a place in life where you say, I wish I didn't know so much? <laughs> You know, I wish I didn't know what I knew. Solomon was a smart guy. And the more he looked around, he was saying, I wish I didn't know what I know because things are just too painful. And so he decided that he would look around and see if anybody else had it figured out. And that's what we do, isn't it? If life's not working for us, we're going to look around and see who's got it working out for them. And so he did that. In verse 13, he said, I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done in the world. I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. Did you know that was in the Bible? I just really shocked some of you right now because you're saying, I didn't know that was in the Bible, but it is. Solomon is saying, when I look at life, I, I, here's what I come up with. God has dealt a tragic 
existence to the human race. Rich, powerful, handsome, strong, charismatic, motivational. And yet in his private moment, he says, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. So here's what's going to happen. And this is what we're going to be doing for the next five weeks. Solomon is going to leverage his wisdom, his money, his power, and he is going to set out to find the meaning of life. He still hasn't found what he's looking for, but he's going to find it. He's going to try everything. He's going to do the things that we can't do. He's going to search for the understanding of life. And that's what our series is going to be about for the next five weeks. There are three reasons why I believe all of us should be part of every one of these services, because Solomon is going to do something for us we can't do for ourselves. Number one, he's going to have the money and power to perform a search that you and I can't. See, here's the thing. Many of us live with carrots out there in front of us, you know? We're sort of following around this carrot, and we say, well, if I had this, I'd be happy. Solomon is going to be able to try all those things. He's going to have the money and the power and the influence to try what we can't try. Number two, he left a journal. The book of Ecclesiastes is Solomon's journal. Every time he tries one of these things, he's going to put an entry in there, and we're going to get to look at it. Third thing is that, you know, the, the great benefit of something like this is we can learn from Solomon's search. If somebody else does something dumb, and I can watch what happens, I don't have to try it. You know, I, I'm not very good at golf. I play golf with some of you, and you play golf with me. I didn't take it up till I was in my mid-30s, and everything I do is wrong. Well, one of the things that I learned about golf early on is that the person furthest out from the pin has to putt first. You know that? I mean, because after all, you're not as good a golfer as the other guys you're playing with, the other girls you're playing with. So if you're the furthest out from the pin, you get to putt first. And there's a reason for that. For, that. for those of you who don't play golf, you know, a green, a putting green, is not flat. There are undulations, there are little hills, there are depressions, and the ball does weird things when it rolls around on those depressions. And when you stand there, you're not exactly sure how the ball's going to roll. So the person who's furthest out has to putt first so that everybody else gets to see how the green is going. You get to go to school on his putt. You get to read the green from watching this guy putt. And that's helpful. What we're going to do is we're going to watch Solomon putt. We're going to be able to stand back and see how this green goes. Second reason why it's so important is we're going to be able to see how Solomon suffers for some of the choices that he made so that we don't have to suffer. There was a woman, kind of overprotective mom, who took her first grade to school on the first day of class. She was afraid her kid was going to get, you know, in trouble for misbehaving, so she gave this gem of knowledge to the teacher. She said, if little Jason misbehaves, don't get on to him. Just slap the kid next to him. It'll scare him so bad he'll straighten up. So... <laughs> We're going, to get to, we're going to get to watch that happen with Solomon. There's something else, too. You know, when you buy a used car today, you have a benefit that we didn't have in previous years. You know, in, in the past, if you bought a used car, you didn't know if the car had been in an accident. You didn't know, you know, what had happened to it. Maybe it had a salvage title or whatever. Today, you can know because of something called Carfax, right? You can enter the VIN number online, and up will come the history of that car. You will know if it's ever been an accident or not. You'll know what's happened with that car by, the, by Carfax. And that's the great thing about Solomon's search. We're going to be able to see what happened with his search so that we can learn from him. Now, upcoming, next Sunday morning, I'm going to talk to you in, about a sermon. The sermon's called Play Till You Win. And the question is, what would it take to make you happy? We're going to look at Solomon trying all the various enterprises of life. So what would it take to make me happy? If you ever felt that life wasn't fair, two weeks from today, there's a sermon called When Life Eats Your Quarter. 
It's uh, what do you do when life, life's not fair? And then how do you know if you have enough money? That's a big question today. People are wondering if they have enough money to retire. How do you know what the right amount of money is? There's a sermon called Feeding the Machine. How many tokens do I need? And then bonus round. What happens when this life is over? And then the final message in this series is no token required. It's about how to win every day of your life. So my prayer is that you'll be here for each one of these messages as we go through Solomon's search. Now, I'd like for us to go back to something Solomon said for just a few moments before this service ends. Solomon said he looked at life and he he concluded that God had given us a tragic existence, a tragic existence. Now, that's, that's really sad because what he's saying is, as I observe life, it looks to me like God has given us a tragic existence. Now, there's something you should know about that conclusion before we go any further. When Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, he was doing something that was very popular for wise men and wise women, especially very smart, motivational speaker kind of people. He was doing something that was very common in those days. The book of Ecclesiastes is an example of what we call wisdom literature. It's a particular genre of literature that wise people, not necessarily Hebrew, not necessarily religious, it was just it was an endeavor that a lot of wise people engaged in. And here's what their concept was. Their concept was that if they looked at life enough and observed people and observed situations, that through observation and analysis, they could figure life out. If you've ever read the book of Ecclesiastes, there's one phrase that appears over and over, and it's the phrase, under the sun. When I was a kid, I read it, and I used to wonder, what does under the sun mean? Because every time I turn around, Solomon's writing about something under the sun. That phrase comes from the genre of literature that we call wisdom literature. In effect, people had the idea that underneath the sun, on the earth, if you looked at life enough, you could figure it out. And Solomon is saying, when I look under the sun, if I just go by what I can see, life makes no sense. That means that while we do this search, we're going to have to back up a little bit and get a different perspective. We're going to have to see life from God's perspective. We're going to learn above the sun what God would like to show us. And so this morning, I want to give you the first two of several life points that we're going to be engaged in during this series, two things that will help you think about your life. If you're here today and you say, Mark, what Solomon says resonates with me because I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Let me give you two life points this morning that come directly from the Bible that will help you sort out what your life is all about. The first one is a challenge for me because I don't know how to say it. I've been thinking about this for weeks, and I never can really articulate it the way I feel it. But I'll do the best I can. I'm going to ask God to help you understand clearly. Here was a man, Solomon, who had so much in his life, and yet he said, I can't find any purpose. I think some of us are that way. You know, we imagine these great, grandiose things, you know, maybe I'm going to cause world peace, or I'm going to, you know, save the rainforests, or I'm going to come up with a solution to global warming. What if you never come up with those things? What if you're just a guy, a woman living in Wichita, Kansas? I really believe this. I believe that God makes us for the life that we live. You know, I grew up in Texas. The last thing I could have imagined doing with my life was spending almost all of my adult life in Kansas. And that's a fact. But God made me for this, just as God made you for the life that you live. And you can say, well, I'd like to trade places with him. I'd like to trade places with her. But God didn't want you to trade places with that person. God made you just as you are. 
Has it ever come to you, has you ever, have you ever thought about the fact that perhaps you are where God puts you? You are the person that God wants you to be. And parents, as ridiculous as it sounds, yes, indeed, you have the children God intended for you to have. Now, somebody will say, well, Mark, I don't know if that's really true or not. Listen to what the Bible says. In Proverbs 20, verse 24, the Bible says, How can we understand the road we travel? It is the Lord who directs our steps. See, here's the thing. If finding your purpose is up to you, it's probably going to be a frustrating involvement because you're always going to look under the sun like Solomon did. But the Bible tells us that it's very difficult to understand the road we travel. There are twists, there are turns, there are things that happen to us that we don't understand. And yes, not everything we do is God's will, and not everything that people do to us is God's will. But the Bible indicates that if we trust Him with our lives, that God will keep us on track. I want to read that one more time. Make sure that all of us get that this morning. Proverbs 20, verse 24. How can we understand the road we travel? It is the Lord who directs our steps. This is the part that I struggle with to explain. I'm not really sure that you and I will completely understand our purpose until eternity because it will take the vantage point of eternity for God to explain to us why we lived where we lived, why we did the jobs we do, why we had the challenges that we had in our lives. Only heaven can reveal that. There's a, there's a movie back in the 40s that, that kind of toyed with this concept. You remember It's a Wonderful Life, the movie that we watch at Christmas. George Bailey's in a dead-end job, and it's like he can never get ahead, and life is always a struggle for him, and he, he, he wants to end his life, and the angel comes down and gets to show him what his life would be like or what the world would be like if he never, if he never lived. That's Hollywood, but I'm telling you, your life right now is touching people and impacting people and changing, in the, world, changing the world in ways that you can't even dream. So you don't have to figure your purpose out. You just have to trust the Lord. I'm not saying that you shouldn't try to better your life. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be excellent. You should be. But if you are faithful to God and doing the things that God has put on your plate today, you know that the purpose thing, God will figure out. And when it's all said and done, the truly important people in life may not be CEOs. They may not be men and women who have a parking space with their name on it. It may not be people who pull down a million dollars plus a year. The most important people in our world are everyday people. And if you feel like one of the hoi polloi and you say, I just can't figure out my purpose, I want to challenge you to do something. Just trust God with your life. That's what the Bible's teaching us. The second thing, the second life point that I want to give you this morning, how do we know what our purpose is? This is a big one. We're celebrating something today that we call Easter. And by the way, there is a day set aside to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. You know what it is? It's Sunday. That's right. Every Sunday is a celebration of our Lord's resurrection. And so when we think about the resurrection of our Lord, what, what, what does that mean? What is it, what, what's involved with that? The Bible tells us that God loved the world. Every human being had a barrier between himself or herself and God, and that barrier is our sin. We can't do anything with that sin. We can't undo it. Many of us have, would have liked to have undone some of the things that we've done, but you can't undo sin. And beyond that, how do we pay for it? The only way to pay for sin, the Bible tells us, is to go to eternity in a place that the Bible calls the lake of fire and spend eternity there. And I don't want to do that. I don't want any of you to do that. But what's most important is that God didn't want anybody to do that. God did not make hell for people. God made hell for Satan and his rebellious angels. So God wanted to keep us out of that place. So what did he do? 
He gave the only thing he could give, the only person he could give, his only son. And Jesus Christ came, born into our world, God and man at the same time. And when the time was right, he laid down on the cross. Nobody killed Jesus. He laid down his life willingly. And he gave his life up as a sacrifice for our sins. That's what the Bible says. They took Jesus off the cross, wound his body up in grave clothes, put him in a grave, and his followers thought that, that was the end. A lot of them. But it wasn't the end. Because three days later, Jesus, listen to me, Jesus did something that no human being had ever done before. He got up. The word resurrection comes from the Greek word anastasis, which means to make to stand again. Guys, in 30 years of pastoring, I've stood beside hundreds of caskets, and I've preached hundreds of funerals. I've never seen anybody get up and stand again, but Jesus did. Three days later, he got up and, and fold. This is so cool. The Bible says he folded up his grave clothes and stacked them neatly, teenagers. He wanted to set a good example for you. <laughs> and he walked out under his own power. And, and people saw him. You say, well, I don't really believe that kind of stuff. I mean, listen, the resurrection of Jesus, one of the most witnessed events of the ancient world. All of his disciples saw him. There, there were a group of people, his followers saw him. But the Bible tells us, Paul writes, and here's the thing. Paul said there were 500 people who saw him at one time. And that was, that was within the time frame of the people who were still alive. Paul said these people are still alive. You can go check it out. And beyond that, his followers went to their deaths, went to martyrdom, assuring everybody that he did rise from the grave. You don't die for something that's a fraud, not hundreds of people. So yeah, he, he did. He, he rose from the grave. And he's in heaven today, and, and he hears our prayers. But here's the thing I want to get to, because I've said there's a, there's a life point here for our, for our series. Solomon said, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I can't figure my life out. I don't know what my purpose is. It's like everything that I, I look at, it, it doesn't work. I mean, all the stuff that's been done has been done before, and it's not getting us anywhere, and history is going to forget about us. Oh, yeah? It all comes down to the resurrection of Jesus. Let me show you what I mean. Jesus said in John 14, verse 19, before long, this is the night before his, his arrest, or the night of his arrest, before long the world won't see me anymore, but you will see me. Because, look at this, because I live, you will also live. What did it mean when Jesus got up out of his grave? It means you and I will someday get out of our graves. Beyond that, the Bible tells us that to be absent from this body, you, are, you and I are spirits. We're not bodies. We, we live in bodies. Our spirits go to be with God when we die. But Jesus said, because I live, because I come back to life, you will come back to life too. So here's the thing that you and I need to think about. This life is not the complete answer to our purpose. We're only living here for a short time. John, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Bible says, but the truth is that Christ has been raised from the dead as the guarantee that those who sleep in death will also be raised. So, trying to figure, here's the thing I want to get across to you. Trying to figure out your life purpose from this life that you and I are living is like trying to figure out the score of a football game after the first three minutes. Because we don't know the whole story yet. We only know a, bit, a little bit of this life. We don't even know everything about this life, but what the Bible is telling us here is that we have a life to come. I, I've, been, I've been looking at the, the last verse I want to show you for a long time. I don't think I ever really understood it until I was conducting a funeral service a couple of weeks ago. 
I, I love 2 Corinthians chapter 5 because the Bible says in this chapter, it talks about what happens when we die. And the, the Bible talks about our bodies as being a tent. You and I live in our bodies. We're not our bodies. We live in our bodies. Just like when you go camping and you put the tent up, you don't expect to move in for the next 10 years. You just expect to stay there for a couple, two or three nights. And that's what the Bible's talking about this life. The Bible says we live in these tents. And I'll be 50 this year, and and my tent's getting a little thin on top, a little creaky. I'm glad I'm not going to live in this tent forever. So the Bible is saying in this great chapter, you know, when we die, we're going to move out of this tent. We're going to move into a permanent body that God makes for us, and we're going to live forever in heaven. But it's chapter, uh, it's it's verse 5 of this great chapter that I want you to look at. Look at this. And and right after the Bible says we're going to move out of this tent and move into a permanent body in heaven, the Bible says it is God who has made us for this very purpose. Oh, hang on with me. Just a few more moments. What that verse says is the life that God has made us for is the life to come. So if you and I, if we struggle to find purpose in this life, no wonder, as the Bible says, we're going to be the most miserable people in the world. But the Bible says you and I weren't designed for this life. Help me do the math for a moment. How long are you going to live in this, in this body, in, in your bodies? Maybe 30 years, 40 years, 60 years. Some of you may, may live to be 100, and I promise you, you probably won't want to live a long time past that point in this body. The Bible tells us that when we leave this life, we're going to live for eternity. You and I are eternal beings. Which would be the more important life? The life that we live for just a few years or the life that we live forever in eternity? That's what the Bible is saying. God has designed you. He has made you for the life to come. I'm talking to somebody here today, and you're saying, Mark, my life is really painful. I really go through a lot of struggles in my life. All of us do. But the best is yet to come. Listen, I'm through. A year ago last January, Mary Alice and I went on a cruise to the Caribbean. And we we wound up getting on the ship in Jacksonville. You know, in Miami, they have these really nice boarding buildings that you go into. And, but this building in Jacksonville was like a big warehouse. I mean, very, very Spartan metal building, concrete floors. But after all, who's going to stay there very long? You're just there to show them your boarding pass and get on the ship. The only problem is our particular cruise was delayed because there had been a kind of golden oldies rock and roll cruise that had been out before us. And, and the guys and the girls on that boat had gotten kind of crazy and they started using drugs and they'd trashed the ship. And so we had to wait for a long time, first of all, for the police to bring all the people off the ship who had been arrested. That's fact. So here we are, you know, and we're, we're, there are no chairs in this place. We're all sitting and lying on concrete floors, and we're waiting. You know, one hour goes by, two hours go by, and here come the police, and they've got these, they've got these guys and girls, you know, in plastic handcuffs, and they're taking them off their cruise. And I'm thinking, okay, now we'll get on pretty quick. But then, as I said, they had trashed the ship, and it took them about three more hours to clean the boat. Many of us are in this building, this boarding building, on concrete floors, no chairs, for five hours. But I got thinking about this. Sure, everybody was kind of grumbling a little bit, and this isn't, you know, this isn't what we you know, bought a ticket for. But the one thing I noticed is that nobody was going over to the counter asking for their money back. Because, see... The purpose wasn't for us to be in that building. That's not what we were there for. We were there to get on the ship, go eat way too much food, (laughs) swim in the Caribbean, 
and enjoy the sunshine in the middle of January. Nobody, not everybody, we weren't happy with it, but we said, this isn't what we came for. To some degree, that's how life is. There are good things and bad things. There are pleasant days, there are bad days, but that's not the life you and I were destined for. We were destined for the life to come. That's why Jesus said, because I live, you will live too. Well, we're just getting started, and I hope you're back every Sunday for this series because we're going to have a great time as we look at Solomon's search. We get ready to read his putt, but we're going to learn a whole lot about life. This is the ultimate takeaway. When I was 14, something happened that I'll never forget. My grandfather was dying in a hospital in south-central Texas. And my father and mother and I, we had driven down to see him, and here he was in the hospital room, and he would only live for a little bit, of while, a little bit longer. And I went in the room with my dad, and I remember my grandfather saying to my dad, he called him by his name, Winfred. He said, I just now learned how to live, and now it's time to die. What we're going to learn in this series is how to live when you still have life. How to, how to know what's important when you still feel good and you've got decisions to make and you still have time. That's what this series is all about. Please come back and let's take time together as we follow this all-important search. Would you bow your head with me, please, for just a moment? A little while ago, I talked to you about Jesus and how he came into our world to keep us out of a very unpleasant eternal existence and to take us to heaven. The Bible tells us that the way to know Christ, the way to go to heaven isn't found in a church or a ritual or even being good because none of us can be good enough and none of us can undo our sins. It's just reaching out by faith and inviting Christ to take charge of your life. And it's a very personal thing. It's between you and the Lord. And I want to give you a chance if you've never invited Christ into your life. I want to give you a chance to do that right now. Here's what the scripture says in the book of Romans chapter 10 verse 9. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised him, that's Jesus, God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Isn't that interesting? Believing. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, that's your inner person, that's your spirit, believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 13 of that same chapter says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That means anybody, and that means you. It's just calling out to the Lord and saying, yes, Lord, I want you in my life. I want you to take charge of my life. Now, I want to pray a prayer, and if you want to pray with me, you can. These aren't magic words, but they're words that call out to the Lord. And if you'd like to pray with me, you can do that right now. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. Would you come into my life? Forgive me and save me. In Jesus' name, amen.